What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And good evening, sports fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Let's Wine About DMV Sports here on IE Sports Radio, your direct feed for all that is sports, and who, of course, for the past nine years has been bringing you amazing sports content, ranging from interviewing legendary athletes, media personnel, coaches, to building tailor-made shows dedicated to all major sports cities and sports around the country. If you have not done so already, please follow us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or no, sorry, not Twitter, it's X now, my apologies. Twitter, or I just said it again, X, TikTok, 
Instagram, and Facebook at IESportsRadio. Of course, be sure to check out our website as well, IESportsRadio.com. There you can find our daily show schedules. You can also find our merchandise. We've got hats. We've got long sleeve shirts, short sleeve shirts, bunch of other random stuff. I hear we may even have wine glasses soon, which is, of course, was exciting news for me. You can also find all the show pages where you can find all of our bios, yours truly included, all of the other great shows here on IE Sports Radio as well. You can find the Fan of the Month as well, the Hall of Fame, and the blog, which you can also check out at uh, WordPress or ieSportsRadioBlog.wordpress.com. So you can check that one out at both places. And for nearly a decade here at IE Sports Radio, we've continued to be by the fans. For the fans, and with your continued support, we are ready to grow and take the next step and continue to be your direct feed for all that is sports. And also, of course, shout out to our sponsor, Planet Jerky, brisket-based jerky. A couple of our folks have tried it. It's delicious. It's immaculate. They have all sorts of different flavors. They have a jalapeno flavor if you like spicy. Really tasty, really great stuff. Check them out at Planet Jerky on Twitter and their website, of course, Planet Jerky. So, good evening, folks. I hope you are all doing well tonight on this Friday, entering a long weekend, at least, you know, for many of us. I hope it's a long weekend. We've got a ton of sports to cover. It is football season upon us. Bearing down starting next Thursday. But before we get into any sports talk, we must start with the wine. So, normally, the past several months, I've been sticking with a theme. However, for the month of September, I'm not really going to paint myself into any particular theme because there are two reasons. One, I like to change it up every now and then, you know, so a little bit of variety, but also because I will be missing two weeks um, due to trips, so since I'm only getting three weeks out of the month of September anyways, I mean, you can kind of do a theme with three weeks, but let's just play it loose and see what we land. So, tonight's choice, or you know what, maybe we can call this month whatever Mike has on his wine rack. That could potentially be uh, the theme of September. Which, this bottle exactly fits, because I had it on my wine rack. Now, tonight's choice actually fits a specific um, topic, a topic of discussion that we actually had in our IE Sports Radio group chat on Twitter uh, a few weeks back, and I wanted to address it. I think I've addressed it on the show previously, but I will address it. Uh, quick shout-out to... Adam Karnick and Jen B in our chat room. Adam Karnick, uh, the host of Shy Town Weekly, regular, to, regular uh, listener on the show. Thank you, Adam and Jen B, uh, the host of our new uh, Cleveland show, The Show of the Land. Very passionate Cleveland sports fan, and you know Cleveland kind of is the running joke sports city in a lot of sports, but you know, if you are a Cleveland fan, you are definitely a diehard to have survived some of the trials and tribulations that some of their teams have put their fans through over the years. So definite shout out to Jen for being a true diehard rooting for Cleveland sports. So tonight I have an Italian 
red wine. This is a Chianti, which means it's from the Chianti region of Italy. Um, so very simple red grape. Um, Chianti is one of the most well-known uh, types of red wine from Italy, and that is probably has to do a little bit, at least, with um, Silence of the Lambs. Um, I believe the uh, the one of the most famous quotes from the movie, the main character um, said, a census taker tried to check me once, I had his liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti. So I think that might be a little bit, but also it's a region that produces a good amount of wine. Um, it's not particularly expensive. Um, so uh, Adam asked a good question. It does not go with fava beans though, right? To be perfectly honest with you, sir, I'm not incredibly familiar with fava beans, what are I'm looking up fava beans right now. You've asked the question, therefore. Um, cooking fava bean? No, it does not look like it. No, although Chianti, uh, as Italian wines go, Chianti is definitely on the lighter and less dry or um, intense side, so it's got a little bit more food versatility, so it could probably actually go with a lot of different foods. It's essentially Italy's comparison to a French or American Pinot Noir, you know, a little bit lighter, a little bit more um, toned down in terms of the acidity and the tannins, a little bit more fruit forward as well. So this is a brand called St. Giorgio. I have never tried it before. Um, it is just a regular Chianti, so Chianti can have a few different uh, designations to it. It can be considered a Chianti Classico, which means that it comes from the original region of Chianti in Italy, because, like I said, this is a regional style, so naturally, over time, regions are going to change a little, you know, they're going to expand, they're going to contract, you know, as conditions permit. So there's the modern day um, region, Chianti wine growing region, but that's not the same as the original Chianti wine region. So if something's labeled a Chianti Classico, that means that it comes from the original um, bordered area that uh, Chianti used to be considered before it expanded. Does that have an effect on anything? Some people might hold the grapes in slightly higher regard because, you know, in general, the vines are probably a little bit older because that means that that region's been producing a little bit longer. Um, usually a couple dollars more on the price tag as well. We'll throw that part out there. Um, so, th But this one does not say Classico, so it's not from the original region. Uh, it doesn't say Reserva or Grand Reserva, so it hasn't been aged extra long. Just a regular, classic, well-made, hopefully, I don't know, to be honest, I haven't tasted it yet, uh, well-made Chianti, um, which still, of course, carries the Chianti name, and therefore still has to undergo at least some form of testing and quality control to make sure that it leaves the country. So, getting a quick look at this bad boy, definitely a medium-bodied wine, which full-bodied uh, Chianti usually falls into the medium category, maybe even a light body. 
Definitely not the, the deepest of wine colors there. Very lovely aromas, nice kind of red berries to it. Doesn't have a particular kick on the nose, so I'm not expecting a ton of tannin or dryness here. So let's take a sip. It's actually very lovely. Easy drinking. It is not very strong in the tannins. Uh, the fruit flavors are not incredibly clear. You can't really make out, you know, any particular fruits. The back says black cherry and a hint of spice on the palates. I do not get a hint of spice. Honestly, don't really get much of a black cherry either. It's almost got kind of a mixed fruit-like flavor. So the flavor overall is not amazing. But... It's not particularly dry. It's not tannic at all. There's zero tannins. Um, not really much acidity either. So this is a very good, easy drinking wine. And by that, I mean, you know, just casually to sip without food or, you know, really any, uh, you know, appetizers or anything like that. Um, in terms of food pairings... Probably this, the bottle, let's consort to the bottle again because it says that rich pastas, pizza, and aged cheeses. Well, the pizza definitely, I could see that. It could definitely go with pizza. Rich pastas? I might have to politely disagree with that description. I don't know if this has the backbone or the strength to really hold up, you know, the, the the flavor of a rich pasta might overwhelm this. Like, something like with a really, you know, strong red sauce would probably overpower this wine. So, I don't know if I would agree with that. A light pasta dish, sure, but not that. And aged cheeses, yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that pairing. That could work there. Now, the reason why I say this wine fits a particular topic, so there was a discussion in our wine group, in our um, IE Sports Radio group, in fact, uh, I believe Gen B was actually a part of said discussion about um, sulfites in wines. Now, sulfites um, are a kind of a natural byproduct of the winemaking process, as in, you know, people, some people believe that sulfites are added into wines afterwards. And that could be the case, that could not be the case, um, depending on the bottle. But sulfites, I do know that sulfites are kind of a natural pro uh, part of the winemaking process, naturally produced um, component. Many people who have problems drinking wines attribute the headaches they get to the sulfites. And there's a little bit of a disagreement in the uh, amongst the medical community, actually. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm nowhere near a doctor. I've never even taken any classes regarding being a doctor. Um, so I purely just kind of go off of what I've read and what I've uh, heard over the years, and that is that some, some believe that it is the sulfites in wines that cause the headaches. 
Some believe it is the tannins that come from the grape skins that cause the headaches or the reactions. And then there are some people who really kind of dive into the, the chemical component because I think I mentioned this on the show last week. Many wines, and this is a somewhat disturbing statistic, many wines are not 100% wine. Um, a lot of them have, many wines have undergone chemical testing and some, thankfully, very small percentages, but in some cases up to 4 or 5% of the wines that are tested, they come back 4 or 5% other. So, honestly, that could be anything. That means that they couldn't detect what that 4 or 5% was. So, some believe that there's something in some wines that get added to the wines that can cause problems with people as well. I've also noticed that it's different from person to person, and I'm not going to say anybody's right or wrong, okay? I'm not here to judge, you know, if you drink a wine and it gives you a headache, by golly, it gave you a headache. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to say you're stupid or anything like that. But there are people have who, when I used to work at Total Wine, used to come to me, and they would tell me that wines, X wine gives, gives them headaches. And there was never really a consensus on what type of wine. Some people were like, oh, every time I drink white wines, it gives me a headache. Every time I drink uh, dry reds, it gives me a headache. Every time I drink sweet reds, every time I drink, you know, it was a whole spread of different options. You know, I've had people who have been like, hey, this dry red gave me a headache, but this super sweet red did nothing to me. I'm going to go with that. And it's definitely a person-by-person situation. Jen B. did clarify her mom was having the reactions, and I'm sure, you know, her mom, you know, determined very quickly, hey, this is not a good feeling. Um, So by all means, you know, if you drink a wine and it has an ill effect on you, do not ever drink that wine again, A. And B, you know, if you want to continue trying different wines because you're like, hey, I really want to get into this, you know, I really think it's a fascinating subject, because it is, um, you know, there are, the internet's a great tool. Um, if you go to wine stores, not like, like obviously big ones like Total Wines, but also small bottle shops, you know, just talk to the people there, um, I would like to hope that they are passionate enough about wine to try to help you, um, on your wine tasting journey and just explain to them, Hey, I had this wine, you know, it gave me a headache. They'll probably ask you some questions. I don't want to say they'll grill you on it, but they might ask, Hey, where was it from? What year was it? You know, kind of some of the basics and, you know, they'll guide you. And like I said, the internet as well can guide you to, um, something that will help, and I, you know, don't force it either, if all wines give you problems, I'm sorry, there, uh, but, you know, you have to weigh your own health versus what you're trying to drink, so there's that, Jen says she turned beet red, even if it was just used for cooking, yeah, so, you know, that was a reaction that Jen's mom had, um, 
And yeah, it could very well have been the sulfites. There could have been some other stuff going on that we don't even know about. I mean, Lord knows, I'm sure the medical research is far from complete and in totality on what parts of wine cause what issues with people. So I'm sure, you know, there's much more to learn on that front. So, but this is a wine that contains sulfites. 99.99% of wines do contain sulfites. There are a few that get a little interesting with their wording. They say they do not contain detectable sulfites, which is another way of saying there's probably still some sulfites in this. Um, But, yeah, if you're having problems, talk to somebody, try to get some assistance, and try to see if you can find the right uh, beverage for you. Now let's actually get into some sports here now that we're well into our show. So the NFL uh, 2023 NFL regular season kicks off on Thursday. I am super excited that you know the season is finally here. All of the months of preparation of teams signing players in free agency, drafting, training camp, all of that has come down and all of the labors are about to be tested on the field. So, first, we had one last uh, preseason game for both the Commanders and the Ravens, so let's take a look at how they did. Let's start with the Commanders. They hosted the Cincinnati Bengals. The um, Obviously, Joe Burrow was not going to play in this game, so it was entirely backups, and actually, it was all backups on Washington's side as well. But the Commanders would win... Uh, 21 to 19. Uh, Jake Fromm and Jacoby Brissett combined for 224 passing yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions. On the ground, the team rushed for a total of 150 yards, most of that coming from rookie uh, Chris Rodriguez Jr. and veteran journeyman Jarrett Patterson. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley led the way with three catches for 89 yards and a touchdown. Bryson Tremaine and Brandon Dillon also uh, scored touchdowns. Obviously, none of the major players played. You know, you didn't see Sam Howell, who had already been named the starter um, leading into this game. Uh, you didn't see either of the top running backs, Antonio Gibson or uh um, Brian Robinson, uh, Terry McLaurin, who was injured anyways, uh, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, none of those guys played. Um, on defense, uh, we did get a sack from reserve end Will Bradley King and an interception from Jace Whitaker. Um, for Cincinnati, um, it was a combination of Trevor Semyon, Jake Browning, and Reed Sinnott. Uh, leading the way at quarterback. Uh, They would combine for 247 yards and two touchdowns. Only 89 rushing yards uh, for the Bengals' uh, rushing attack. But again, none of their major guys played. Uh, They did get sacks from a couple of reserve guys, Jeff Gunter, Owen Carney, Dominique Davis. Um, But overall, it was a game for a few guys battling it out for final roster spots, which uh, one of the names we mentioned uh, for the Commanders did sneak their way into a roster spot, so we'll talk about that in just a second when we go over roster cuts and current roster configurations. 
For the Ravens, they went to Tampa Bay coming off their first preseason loss in several years. And while apparently they've decided that a losing streak is the new goal uh, now because they lost 26-20, to uh, Josh Johnson, Anthony Brown split duties. Josh Johnson, 6 of 9 for 95 yards and a touchdown. Anthony Brown, 12 of 21 for 171. Owen Wright got the bulk of the rushing duties. Uh, he had 12 carries for 89 yards and a touchdown. Dante Damas, the rookie out of Maryland, so we're double dipping in the DMV with that one, had two catches for 86 yards. Laquan Treadwell caught the lone touchdown pass. On defense, Trey Botts, who was a guy battling out for a bottom of a roster spot, had the, had a, had the lone sack of the game. For the Bucks, uh, it was all Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield. They combined for 227 yards and two touchdowns. The... Um, Buccaneers ran all over the Ravens, 33 carries for 158 yards, and they got sacks, a sack and a half from William Golston, which I'm surprised he played enough to get a sack and a half. I figured he, you know, being a kind of a key defensive line play piece for them, figured he would get some rest, but I guess not. Uh, and then they also got sacks from Anthony Nelson, Charles Snowden, and Hamilcar Rashid. So the Ravens lose their final two preseason games, but I'm not particularly worried. Uh, preseason has continued to prove to not mean anything. I always remind people when they get hype about the preseason, remember, the year that the Detroit Lions went 0-16, they were 4-0 and in the preseason. That's all I gotta say about that one. I mean, there's really nothing else to say. So, naturally, following the final game of the regular, of the preseason, we come down to roster cuts. It's always a very difficult time of year um, as teams go from 90 players down to 53 players in the matter of a few days. That means that 37 guys are getting cut. Multiply that by 32 teams. You can see how the numbers get really big really quickly. The good news is, is about a third of those guys land on practice squads, and probably another, say, maybe let's say 10% um, get re-signed to rosters because the league rules, and I never understood why the NFL did this, you have to have a guy on the roster, and then if they're hurt, you have to designate them on the injured reserve designated to return list after you do the cuts and then you bring guys back. I never understand why you had to go through that process. I don't understand why you couldn't just designate the guys first and then do your roster cuts, but it's just the way the NFL has the system. Um, yeah, honestly, I can't explain the logic. I don't know if anybody in the chat can really uh, defend that uh, pattern, but... It is what it is. So let's take a look at who were who were the significant cuts. Now, you know, a lot of, you know, the releases that you see leading up to this are veteran journeymen, undrafted rookies, basically what they call camp bodies because you have to have 90 uh, players on the roster. So realistically, 20 or so of the guys never had a significant chance of actually making the roster. So let's take a look and let's see who were the significant releases for each squad. So let's start with the commanders. I think probably, probably 
I don't know if there were any major surprise releases. Um, let's take a quick look, because, you know, luckily there are websites that list this. Um, let's see. Linebacker Milo Eifler, I think a lot of people thought that the team was going to keep a fifth linebacker, uh, but in, rea- in they only ended up keeping four, which kind of makes sense, because they essentially run the equivalent of, a, in, instead of what they can traditionally describe as a 4-3 defense, four down linemen and three linebackers, they essentially run a 4-2-5, where they really only use two linebackers regularly, and then they use defensive backs, uh, they use an extra defensive back on the field, which is not an uncommon strategy, a lot of teams go that route nowadays, because the league is so passing-oriented, so you want to get that speed on the field at as much as possible, but it is it was still a bit shocking to see them cut Eifler and keep it down to only four linebackers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, but the probably the most uh, disappointing one, the, the the one that kind of made me a little sad, was that they did release Jarrett Patterson. Now, for those of you who don't know Jarrett Patterson, don't know the name, uh, Patterson came out of the University of Buffalo a couple of years ago. He's an undersized running back, so a lot of people... Um, a lot of people overlooked him because of his size and the fact that he played at University of Buffalo, which is not a premier uh, university, but he got signed as an undrafted free agent. Every preseason I've seen him in, he has put his heart and soul into the team, but he always just seems to not quite make the cut um, on, you know, make the final cuts. Um, it doesn't even look like they managed to sign him back on to the practice squad, which is, again, very sad, which means he probably probably signed elsewhere. I wonder if we can take a look at that really quick. Um, but, yes, so that one, that one, I'm not saying I'm surprised, uh, but I am saying that it did, it did make me see a little sad because, you know, you, you want uh, those guys who are, uh, you know, kind of the overlooked, the underdogs, not really, you know, getting a ton of attention across the league, you want those guys to turn around and then make the roster. It actually appears that he has not he has not yet been signed by a uh, to a practice squad. So maybe maybe there's still a chance that he makes his way onto the squad. For the Ravens, probably the biggest the most surprising cut that I would see now they did manage their roster I would say really well because they had several injuries to work around but probably the most surprising cut 
would be uh, Caillou Kelly. Uh, he was the fifth round pick at cornerback. Um, and normally the Ravens are very good about keeping their rookies, even if they need a year. But I have noticed in recent seasons that they've been a little bit quicker to pull the trigger if they don't like what they see. And I guess they just did not see enough from Caillou to, um, to, uh, dedicate a roster spot to him. I wonder if, uh, he, he landed on somebody else's practice squad. We're going to look that up really quick. But yeah, I mean, you'd think if you dedicated a draft pick, I mean, admittedly not an incredibly high draft pick, but, you know, high enough for it to be considered significant, it'd be very surprising that uh, he didn't make the roster, if anything, to kind of get a year on the back end to... um, develop, but I guess the Ravens just saw saw the writing on the wall, like I said, and felt that it was okay to make the cut. Other than that, no other real surprises. Sam, You can maybe make the argument for Sam Mustafer, uh, who Adam should be very familiar with coming in since he came over from Chicago. Many thought he would make the roster um, as the reserve center um, instead of the key- team keeping multiple guards, but I th- believe they, you know, with the final preseason game, I heard that Ben Cleveland, uh, who was kind of on the outside looking in, played well enough in the days leading up to the cuts for the team to justify possibility other than... Um, <laughs> just keeping a the guy you paid a ton of money for and b the guy who you committed to as your uh main draft pick or as your starter in his second year three running backs Antonio Gibson Brian Robinson and the rookie Chris Rodriguez again number of linemen plus Chase Young potentially injured and out for week 1 so that uh, likely played a factor there. As I mentioned, they only kept four linebackers, and they actually also only kept uh, 10 defensive backs. Uh, the standard uh, nowadays is usually 11, uh, but the team, uh, I guess they decided they were healthy enough that they were going to go with their just their 10. Of course, first-round pick Emmanuel Forbes making the cut, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice, those three are going to be the top three corners. Danny Johnson, mostly a special teamer. Jatavius Martin, kind of a hybrid DB, probably will be the the sixth or seventh defensive back. Um, I know that they're going to use Cam Curl and Derek Forrest are going to be the main, uh, those starting safeties. And probably Martin and or Percy Butler are going to get um, the nods uh, as the sixth and seventh defensive backs. And then Christian Holmes, uh, bringing up the rest of the depth chart at corner, and uh, of course, uh, special teams ace Jeremy Reeves um, making it at safety. Punter, Tressway, no surprise. Kicker, Joey Sly, same guy from last year. Long, snap, long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman, no surprises there. Those were the guys that everybody expected. For Baltimore, uh, Baltimore decided probably their most interesting roster move was keeping three quarterbacks, um, although I was informed of a new rule 
Um, basically, on uh, it was a rule that the league just introduced, and it's due to the game, the San Francisco 49ers playoff game last year, where uh, a lot of their quarterbacks got injured, and they ended up having to basically either play a hurt guy or go with an out-of-position player. So now the league has implemented an experimental rule where you can have a quarterback an emergency quarterback ready and available in the case of significant injuries that uh, will not count towards the op- the uh, active roster on the day. So they kept the Ravens kept Josh Johnson. That will be his role. He will basically be tucked away in a corner for if something happens to Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley. Running backs, uh, they kept Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Justice Hill. They also kept... Keaton Mitchell, undrafted rookie out of ECU, um, who was then subsequently, however, placed on IR, and, well, that uh, reign ended quickly. Wide receivers, they kept six. uh, Five were completely expected. Zay Flowers, the rookie first-round pick. Rashad Bateman, Odell Beckham Jr., Nelson Aguilar. Those four were guaranteed. Devin DuVernay, the return ace. Uh, Some people were rumoring that a potential trade could happen with DuVernay, given that he's entering the final year of his contract, but that did not happen. And then Tylen Wallace, the fourth-round pick from a couple years ago, entering his third season. I thought he was going to be an odd man out, but this guy continues to find ways to make the roster. Tight ends, Mark Andrews, Charlie Kolar, Isaiah Likely, no surprises there. Offensive line, no surprise cuts, uh, as we discussed with Ben Cleveland getting kept on. Um, Of course, rookie seventh-round pick Andrew Voorhees was placed on the non-football injury list before the season even began. So he was never going to make the roster. Defensively, they originally kept four interior D linemen. Ravens run a 3-4. So these are your big men up front. But after a couple of um, a couple of injured reserve moves, they brought back Brent Urban. So now they have five guys to work with. Um, as they have and they have four edge rushers as well. Now the bulk of the work will go to Odafe Owe. Jadavion Clowney and David Ojabo. I do not expect to see uh, rookie Tavius Bryant, Tavius Robinson, much. They kept five linebackers, so they have a full loaded uh, linebacking core. Very talented linebacking, of course. Core, of course, Roquan Smith. Once again, thank you, Adam. Uh, Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, Trent, which Trent uh, Simpson. Very good group there. Um, and then, of course, like I said, the surprise cut at cornerback with Caillou Kelly. Uh, the team did keep 11 defensive backs. However, Marlon Humphrey will miss the first three games, likely, of the season. Um, so starting duties will default to Rocky Sin and Ronald Darby with Jalen Armour Davis and Kevon Seymour backing them up on the perimeter. Arthur Mollett will get some nickelback reps. Uh, yes, I did say Nickelback, bad pun, I'm sorry, uh, with Demarion Williams, Pepe Williams, who was supposed to get the Nickelback spot, 
landing on injured reserve. He will probably, or Mollett will actually probably split those duties with hybrid defensive back Ardarius Washington, who actually looked really good there in preseason. And then Kyle Hamilton and Marcus Williams will man the safety spots as probably the most talented safety duo in the NFL. I don't feel bad about saying that. Backed up by Brandon Stevens and Geno Stone. And to as as a shocking development that nobody expected, y'all, this is probably the biggest roster surprise I've ever seen in my entire life. Justin Tucker made the cut, everybody. Justin Tucker is going to be a Baltimore Raven this year. I know it was close. It was a tough battle between who's he what's it from university of nowhere uh but yes justin tucker will be the kicker for the ravens uh last year's fourth round pick jordan stout obviously managed to hold on to his spot there and tyler ott got the long snapper job with nick moore landing on the non-football injury list so those are the components of both teams uh taking a quick look at the schedules let's talk about the ravens first when the schedule was first released, I tagged it as a potential 10-win schedule, and taking a quick glance down it, I don't see enough for me to greatly change that prediction. Um, I think, let's see, let's, one, two, three, four, five... There are five, there are probably about six or maybe seven games on this schedule that I would describe as very favorable. Several 50-50 matchups, a lot of 50-50 matchups, and really, I mean, maybe at Cincinnati is probably, at Cincinnati and at San Francisco are probably the toughest games on the list Maybe at the Chargers as well, um, but even still, like there's no like it's not like at Kansas City, you know, at Buffalo, at uh, the Jets, at Philadelphia. Like there's no games that I'm looking at that I'm like, oh, that's that's probably going to be a loss. So to me, that sets them up to be uh, to very probably be a ten win team possibly, and definitely a good shot at the playoffs. For Washington, when the schedule first came out, I had them pegged kind of in the seven, seven-ish win range, and taking a quick look... So they have... Washington only has three games that I would describe as very favorable. Um... Some games that are that I would be willing to mark as a loss right now at the Jets, Aaron Rodgers late in the season. That's when he really turns it on at Philadelphia, um, at Seattle. I think Seattle is going to be very good this year, so that's going to be a very difficult game. So I think my prediction is still kind of in that 7-8 to eight re- win range. I think the absolute ceiling of this team is 9, and I think the floor... Let's face it, I mean, you've got a quarterback starting in his first year, and we've got, you know, a couple other question marks across the roster, not the greatest offensive line. This could be a four or five win team, like there really is a lot of variability on how this team will perform, but 
how will they perform relative to their division? I think now would be a fantastic time to discuss some NFL season predictions. So, I set myself some guidelines. We're going to focus mainly on our, our two divisions, but I will very briefly run over the rest of the league. I have several guidelines for myself. Guideline number one, I cannot pick the standings the same as they were last year. I have to make at least some change um, for every division. I have to change half the division winners because, you know, multiple division winners will change year in and year out. So I have to pick four of the eight divisions have, a, have to have a different winner. One team has to go from worst to first. They have to go from last place last year to first this year because that happens pretty much every season. Somebody goes from worst to first. Um, And I have to pick one of my teams, be it the Ravens or the Commanders, to win the division. So I think you all can see pretty quickly which one I'm going to pick. But let's discuss it. So let's start with the NFC East. My predictions are... So I have to keep it different. So I'm going, my change is I'm going to put the Giants in fourth. There's a lot of drama with Saquon Barkley. I don't trust it. I don't trust teams that have lots of drama. Um, their wide receiving core does not scare me. They're relying on a, into his 30s, Darren Waller to be the main weapon for Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones is okay, but I don't think he's going to lead your team to the Super Bowl. So I have the Giants coming in last. I have the Commanders jumping them into third. I got to put some faith. This is me saying that I think Sam Howe will be solid and he'll be able to make enough plays with a pretty good group of weapons um, and a defense that's very talented to uh, get this team to third place. Dallas, I think, holds steady in second. I uh, didn't love their offseason. I don't think they did enough to move themselves above the Eagles, who, despite their losses, still managed to get two of the best defenders in the draft who are tearing it up in uh, training camp and preseason. So that's concerning. So I have the Eagles, Eagles, Cowboys, Commanders, and Giants. And then I'll run through the rest of the divisions really quick. NFC North, I have, sorry Adam, I have the Bears in last, and it's not that I don't think they're a better team, but even if they tripled their win total, they would still only get to six wins, so it's going to be an uphill battle, I'll have to see it before I believe that the way the roster is constructed, they can jump one of the other teams in the division. In third, I've got Green Bay. I've seen enough from Jordan Love to think that maybe they're not going to be a disaster. And also that defense is very talented. The offensive line is very good as well. Got Minnesota in second. They had a really bad offseason, but they're going to be able to throw the ball a lot. And this is a good regular season team. So they're still going to win several, many games in that regard. And number one, I put my faith in them a couple years ago. I'm doing it again for some reason. Detroit. I liked their offseason. I think they've rebuilt their secondary. I think their offense is going to be dynamic. I don't see a major weakness anywhere on the roster. And given the offseason that the rest of the division had, the only division, the only other team in the division that had a pretty good offseason was the Bears, and they finished seven games ahead of the Bears. I don't think they closed that gap. So Detroit, Minnesota, Green Bay, Chicago. NFC South, shoot, you could basically do a pick on this one. But I'm going to put Tampa in fourth look. They went 8-9 and nine last year with Tom Brady. How are they going to do with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask? Plus, offensive line took a major step back. Weak quarterback, 
Weak offensive line, that's a last place team. In third, I've got Atlanta. Atlanta made a lot of moves, but I am... I'm not impressed with their offense. Kyle Pitts has underperformed. Their offensive line just seems okay to me across the board. Uh, They're going to be able to run the ball a ton, which is going to keep them in games, but i got to see all of these pieces together on defense before I can give them a vote of confidence. I'm putting them in third. Carolina in second. I think Bryce Young is going to carry this team. Uh, They've got a good defense, a good offensive line. Bryce Young is going to improve them. I don't think that he's going to prove them into the playoffs, but they will be solid. And then New Orleans, number one, this is the safest pick. Um, By the way, for those of you keeping track at home, that's two new division winners. Uh, uh, New Orleans, veteran quarterback, lots of pieces. Michael Thomas is healthy, good offensive line, playmakers on defense. This is it's a fair bet to me to think that they're going to win the division. And then the West, Arizona's just terrible. So they're gonna be in fourth. The Rams, I looked at their roster the other day. They I would have them in fourth and probably six of the eight other divisions. So yeah, I don't think they're going to be very good at all. And so that is my bet for third. Second, this is where the change has to come in, because it was Arizona, then the Rams. Last year, I've got San Francisco. Look, people keep bragging about this offensive line. I don't see it. I I think they lost a couple of key guys in the offseason, and that unit's going to take a step back. Trent Williams can't play all five positions. And the quarterback situation seems a bit uneasy, seems a bit precarious with all of the injuries. They're still going to be great. They're still going to make the playoffs. But I'm going to give Seattle the slight edge here. I don't see a weakness. I think as long as Geno Smith continues to play the game that he played last year, the offensive line is going to be good. The run game is going to be good. He's got weapons. The defense is loaded with young talent. Seattle. So Seattle, San Francisco, LA, Arizona. So that's the NFC. In the AFC, let's start with my guys, the NFC, AFC North. So like I said, have to pick one of my teams to win the division. Therefore, I am picking the Baltimore Ravens. Pretty fair bet. There's no Philadelphia Eagles in there. And, you know, as long as Lamar Jackson's healthy, they're one of the most dynamic teams in the league, and they greatly improved their wide receiving core. Defense does scare me a little bit, but... I think this offense can do enough to win games. Number two, I've got Cincinnati. This is going to be real close. Cincinnati, it might even be tied uh, at the end of the season. Cincinnati's still a really good team. They're a really dangerous playoff team. Joe Burrow's really good. Um, Defense, I'm still a little bit concerned about, particularly in the secondary. Um, So we'll have to see how that goes. And I'm curious to see how their offensive line continues to develop. They keep addressing it. But it seems to be getting somewhat better, but not all the way better. Third place, Pittsburgh. Very solid, reliable team. Couple of weaknesses here and there, but they're better. Fourth place, Cleveland. You can never know what you're going to get out of the Cleveland Browns. I can't put my faith in them until I see it. AFC East. This is my last different. Actually, no, it's a lie. Oh, wow. I'm actually going to have five different because Baltimore didn't win last year. No, no, we're going to change that. We're only doing four. All right. So in fourth place, New England. Don't uh, have much faith. I think they're really low upside with Mac Jones at quarterback. Third, I'm going to go with Miami. Tua's potential injuries concern me, and they already lost Jalen Ramsey. So the major step forward that their defense took just took another one step back. Number two, I'm going to go with the Jets. Aaron Rodgers coming to town. That's an automatic three-win bump over how they were last year. 
good weapons. Got to see the offensive line a little bit and got to see how some of these young guys on defense play out. And then number one, I'm going to stick with Buffalo. Little bit concerned about the way they ended last year, but they still have the most talented quarterback in the division. Um, and they still have very good weapons, a solid offensive line, playmakers on defense. That's, you know, kind of the key. AFC South, Jacksonville in first, pick them on the rest. I don't think any of these teams are even going to sniff the playoffs. For entertainment's purposes, I'll put Tennessee in fourth. I think the bottom's going to fall out on this team. Uh, actually, no. Redact that. I had Indy in fourth and then Tennessee in third. Houston in second. I think this is a late rising team. I think they're going to end the season on a hot streak. And, you know, me, but I'm hoping that the improvement at head coach uh, will lead to improvements on the team. Well, that took up the vast majority of our time there, folks. Uh, we're not going to take a break. Let's just take a quick look at the Orioles, how they did this past week. Um, also, of course, the Nationals. Let's take a look at them as well. The Orioles are playing in Arizona tonight. Not off to a great start, sadly, but we'll see how that goes. Um, this past week, the Orioles took two of three from Colorado, uh, and then two of three from Chicago. So four and two, getting them to 83 and 50, matching their season win total from last year. Uh, and keeping them in first place of the division, but not by much, because for some reason, uh, Tampa, you know, Tampa keeps winning an even greater clip. It's unbelievable. Uh, I guess they heard people talking smack about them and decided to do something about it. For the uh, Nationals this past week, they went two and one against Miami, uh, one and two against Toronto, and then they lost their game yesterday against Miami in another series. Currently, uh, tied at four in the bottom of the tenth. So hopefully the Nationals are the home team, so if they score a run, they'll win there. But ultimately that put them at 3-4 and four on the week, put them at 62-73 and 73 on the year, which of course uh, has them in the race to stay out of last place in the division. The Mets, you know, kind of staying, you know, in the race, but still well ahead of Colorado, Oakland, and Kansas City, well ahead of the White Sox, ahead of Detroit now, sneaking up on the Angels, ahead of Pittsburgh and St. Louis, and tied with the Padres. So the ongoing race for the uh, Nationals to not finish in last place is going to be one of our hot topics for the rest of the year. And then for the Mystics, Let's see, where did how did they do this week? So, they had two games against the Las Vegas Aces, and they actually, wait, hang on, am I in the right? Yes, yes, that is right. Uh, and they actually split, they actually beat the Aces in a game, which the Aces are the best team in the league, and then they also beat Minnesota this week, so they went 2-1 on the week to get them to 17-19. and Let's take a look at where that puts them in the standings. That gives them the seventh seed in the playoffs. However, there's a three-way tie. Atlanta Dream, Minnesota Lynx, and Washington Mystics are all 5-6-7 at 17-19, and which means the last four or five games of the season are going to be 
crucial because as we discussed, you really do not want to be a seven or the eight seed. That almost that almost assuredly means you're going to get bounced in the first round by the Liberty or the Aces. And really, you don't want to be the sixth seed and match up against the Connecticut Sun. So your only hope really of getting to the fourth, second round is to get the five seed and go up against the Dallas Wings, which is still not a great matchup. However, the key for the Mystics right now, healthy. This team is healthy. Della Dawn is back. Shakira Austin's back. Uh, Natasha Cloud, Ariel Atkins have both dealt with injuries. They're back. So they have their starting five is back together, plus three of their four, um, three of their four bench players are back as well. Actually, all of them are back because Christy Tolliver is no longer listed on the injury report. So their entire top nine is back, and it could not have happened at a better time. That'll do it for tonight's show. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Adam, Larry, and Jen for jumping in the chat room. Thank you to those of you who listened at home and or on the road, wherever you might be tonight. As always, please drink responsibly. Do not drink and drive. If you are out drinking tonight out of the house, kicking off your long weekend on a high note, please find a safe way to get home. Uber, taxi, designated driver, Amazon, ship yourself your home. Whatever it is, just please... Do not drink and drive. It is simply not worth it. We'll be back next week. I'm sure discussing more football. We'll have college football. We'll have kicked off NFL right around the corner. Of course, talking baseball. Anything DMV related, you're going to hear it right here with Mike Pat on Let's Wine About DMV Sports on the IE Sports Radio, your direct feed for all that is sports. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.